We want what we want. And we want God to make things look like we think they're supposed to look. So I have a throne. Of course I have a throne, right? So I'd like you to repeat after me, please. Jesus is Lord. Now say it like you really mean it. Jesus is Lord. What you just did could have gotten you killed in different times and places. Because that's a statement of faith for us that we believe in Jesus as Lord. But in the days where they were competing kings and competing powers, and of course there still are, to say you are my Lord means I'm on your team and I'm going to fight for you. And so somebody else who wasn't on that team would view that as a a statement of allegiance. And that means you're my enemy and I need to kill you. And so for the early Christians to say Jesus is Lord was to say whoever is in power, I'm not going to follow you because I'm following this man from Galilee. And so there was a cost to saying Jesus is Lord. Not so for us today, and so we may forget or or not realize how important that saying is. And so we have Christ the King Sunday. It was instituted in 1925 by Pope Pius, and he felt like um, with the rise of uh, Mussolini, the rise of fascism in Italy, that the people needed to be reminded that the earthly power isn't the ultimate power, that God's power was greater And so he decided that the last Sunday of the church year, the Sunday before Advent, would be Christ the King Sunday. And as we talked about it, I don't have my calendar wrong or anything, we decided that maybe we need to talk about that more. Maybe we need to talk about that two Sundays and not just one. Because there's a whole lot in that statement. Especially, not that we've had a contentious election or anything, right? Maybe we need that reminder that Christ is the king. And so let us pray. Oh God, we are grateful that you are our king. How easy we say Jesus is Lord and how often we forget what that really means. Open our hearts and minds to your word and convict us of what it means to say Jesus is Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. God's plan for his people is that they would have a heavenly king, that Yahweh would be their king and God would be their people. God raised up judges to show them the way and prophets to listen to God's voice. But pretty soon that wasn't enough for God's people. And so we read the prophet Samuel that tells us that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, the prophet, at Ramah, and said to him, you are old. I love that part. You're old. And your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us. Like other nations. We want to be like everybody else. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. What a statement. By asking for a king, by asking to be like everybody else, 
In a way, the people were rejecting God. But what a gracious God we have. God said, give them a king. A king was anointed, and God was with them. And isn't it amazing that no matter how often we decide that we don't want to do things God's way, we create our own structures, and God doesn't leave us. God works within whatever systems we work out. God still finds a way. The Spirit still finds a way. And so they had a king, and it didn't go well for them. But that's just how it's always been. From the very beginning, people have wanted their own way. God created all humanity and said, here is the earth, here is bounty, food grows from the ground and rain falls from the sky and the sun shines and you have everything you need. There's just one limitation, this tree over here. Wait, there's a limitation? I don't know if I like that. Why can't I have that tree? What's over there? Yeah, 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 you've given me everything, but, but I think I need to decide because I'm not sure I trust you. And whenever we decide to sit in God's chair and make our own decisions and question God's rule and say, well, maybe God didn't say, there's always voices that will agree with that, just like the snake in the garden. Yeah, you can't really trust God. God's trying to hold you down. Doesn't that fruit look good? And so from the very beginning of humanity, we are told that this is just the way we are. We want to sit in God's chair. We are not really comfortable without seeing something that we can, that we can touch and, and hear with our human ears. We're not always so good at trusting. And so it happens over and over again. God promised Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And his wife said, you're kind of taking long. I have this other idea. And that didn't work out. And so this is our human tendency. We want this spot because we can control this. And we're not sure how much we trust God. And so God worked with them and their ways and gave them a king, Saul, and gave them another king, David. And the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. David understood that even though he wore the crown, God was the king. For a while. Spring came and everyone went out to battle and David just decided to stay home. And he saw a beautiful woman and he wanted her. So he took her. And then things got complicated and he had to have her husband killed. But, you know, that's what kings do. I mean, kings everywhere did that. They take what they want. That's what it means to be king. David was just doing what everybody, every other king would do. When the Israelites said, give us a king so we could be like everybody else, pretty soon they became like everybody else. Their king took what he wanted. But there were still prophets in the land. And the prophet Nathan saw this. He knew it wasn't right. But you don't confront a king, do you? He had to be clever. He used a parable. I've seen that somewhere else before, right? Second Samuel says, As the Lord sent and the Lord sent Nathan to David. 
Nathan came to him and said, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He brought it up and it grew with him and his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him, a little precious pet. Now, there was a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, prepared it for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David took the bait. How dare that man take this man's pet to eat? Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, for you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. There was a choice to be made here. David could have had Nathan's head chopped off, or he could listen to the voice of the Lord. And the choice that he made determined what happened next for the whole kingdom of Israel. He bowed down, he wept, he repented. He said, how could I have done this thing? We read uh, Psalm 51, usually every year at Lent. Against you and you alone have I sinned, O Lord. Create in me a clean heart. My sin is ever before me. David recognized that even though he was the earthly king, he had to answer to a greater authority. He wept and cried and begged God's forgiveness because he recognized that there was another authority above him. That is how kings in God's kingdom are to live because there's a king of kings. And that's what made them different from all the other kingdoms that they subjected themselves to the will of God. So who would you say is the greatest king of Israel? Usually we say David. And throughout the Bible there's songs about David and hymns about David and all kinds of scripture about David. And and we hold up David as an example of a great king. Surely out of all the earthly kings before Jesus, David is the greatest, right? But if you read history... Or archaeology, he doesn't really make the list. Archaeologists might say that the greatest king of Israel is Omri or maybe Asa. Have you ever even heard of them? (laughs) 
Maybe you've heard of them just a little bit. Surely those aren't the greatest kings of Israel. We would know more about them if they were. But archaeologists, look, yes, you Christians have your Bible, you Jews have your scriptures, but let's look and see what archaeological evidence there is. Well, these are the kings that built a lot, and here's this monument that talks about the kings that won battles and took territory, and so the world, the secular world, measures greatness on those terms. But we measure greatness by different terms. And so... The way our faith has been carried on for us, we don't know Omri or Asa. We know David, the one who sinned greatly but bowed down and said, Lord, forgive me. I give up my power to serve you because that's what the kingdom looks like to us, different standards. And so when Jesus came, he wanted to show us how to walk as a human, and when they tried to make him a king, he resisted that. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He did what he did in human flesh to show us what we could do and to show us that we don't need that kind of power because God's kingdom is different. He came to show us a different way. Well, we don't always like that way. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jesus. I'll take it from here. And so to call Jesus king... And to follow Jesus' word makes us a little weird and different. And sometimes it can be a little embarrassing. This whole whole commandment stuff. How about suggest... I mean, you're my Lord, but just let's let's have that between you and me, Jesus. (laughs) Because, you know, there's a lot of people over here and they have different lords and I don't want to offend them. There's other gods out there that people worship, and I don't want to force you on them and this whole king and high and mighty. Let's just, let's just keep that between us, Jesus, for, our, for my private time with you when I feel like it because I don't want to offend anybody or be pushy with anybody. My king is better than your king. We're called to say Jesus is Lord, and that means... These are the rules I follow. This is who I worship. And if it conflicts with you, this is where I stand. I'm not going to sit in the chair. I'm not going to hide the chair. I'm going to live knowing that you're here. And, I, and I'm going to live like I believe it. But Jesus gave us a parable. We often head into Advent with this one. From the Gospel of Mark, they're asking Jesus, when, when will you return? And he said, about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn, or else he might find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Chair may look empty. There may be times where it feels like God is not with us. But we don't go sitting on his chair or sneaking the good wine, or trying on his robe. No, the king is the king, so much better in his rule than any of us could do. And so we wait. 
and we watch because he promised to always be our king. Amen? We have a hymn that sends us forth, and as we sing it, this is your invitation. If you don't have a church home and people to walk with you as you worship the king, we want to invite you to make this church your home. You can talk to us about that um, after the service, Pastor Thomas or me. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, our king, may we proclaim you king when it costs us nothing and when it costs us everything. May we realize that we are not here to lord it over each other, but to be fellow workers, keeping up this blessed and beautiful kingdom you've given us, because you've given us everything, and you are good. In your holy and royal name we pray. Amen.